think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when he came on? Oh, huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. Massive thanks to Alex Bai for the epic morning of Sydney music and culture news. If you missed anything she played, you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here at FBI. Now, have you ever had a run-in with a shark? Most people would like to live their lives without ever coming across one, but my guest on Out of the Box today is someone who has gone out of their way to get as close as possible to them. Madeline Stewart, otherwise known as Shark Girl, freedives and interacts in incredibly intimate ways with sharks all around the world. Sharks that we've been led to believe are indiscriminate killers, but in actual fact, they're not. Her love affair with sharks began from a very young age. At 12, she was scuba diving. At 14, she began filming underwater. And at 17, she was an international award-winning underwater filmmaker. Now at 24, her mission is to make films that change people's minds about sharks, showing us that they're not just the mindless killers that we think they are, they are also incredible animals that are vital to our ecosystems. She's also going around the world challenging the idea that these animals should be killed, fished and hunted in the way they are because it's going to have devastating environmental impacts. Madison, thanks for coming on the show. That was a good intro. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there was a lot in it. <laughs> now look, uh, you um, as a kid, I, I, you didn't have a very normal upbringing, I must say. And one thing that your dad did, well, didn't let you do, was ride a bicycle, but he taught you how to scuba dive. Can you please run us through the logic of that? Yeah, when I was like 19, I was at a friend's house and they were like, oh, let's go down the road and, you know, go on our bikes. And I was like, I don't know how to ride a bike. And <laughs> it was really funny at that time. So when I was young, um, my dad got me in the water and scuba diving and, and grew up around sharks my whole life. And he didn't want me to have a push bike because he decided it was too dangerous. He was worried I was going to get hit by a car riding on the road. But he let me dive with sharks. So I did have an interesting upbringing. <laughs> and I mean, like, I guess it, it, it does make sense in many ways. Like, because most people's preconceptions are that sharks are so dangerous and whatever. But in reality, when you look at the stats, I mean, roads are obviously far more dangerous, aren't they? Absolutely. As are many other things. Yeah, they're just normalized. I mean, you rarely hear about car crashes on the news these days, but if there's a shark attack, it's like front page news. So they're definitely, all these dangerous things that we do on a day-to-day basis have become normalized. And I mean, tell us about your first times diving and before you saw a shark, like what, what kind of dives were you doing with your dad? So um, when I was young, I was like snorkeling and, and just having fun in the ocean and Ever since then, it was like my number one thing to see a shark. It's all I wanted was to see a shark. Dolphins, turtles, I wasn't that impressed. I was just waiting (laughs) for like a big shark to rock up. And it's still like that today. And that's all I wanted to see underwater. But, you know, I grew up on the Gold Coast and on the Great Barrier Reef and just trying to be in the ocean as much as I could. And sharks were just a normal part of, of me and my family. And I think my dad made a point of making me a little bit scared of humans and how dangerous and unpredictable humans could be. (laughs) But I always learned about sharks and my family were just nature lovers, so it just came easy. And so tell us about the first time you did come face to face with a shark. Right, it was actually, the first time I can remember was my 12th birthday uh, at a dive spot off Byron Bay called Julian Rocks, which is an amazing dive spot. You get so much life out there. And there were two grey nurse sharks that were just hovering over this rock. And I remember just kind of like seeing them and thinking, wow, that's not even real. They're like such 
amazing, graceful, powerful animals and they were just like hovering there and I was just in total awe and that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I mean, like your parents, like they were such interesting characters. Like you, you've described yourself as a Pippi. Can you please explain to us what exactly you mean by that? Yeah, so I got given the name Pippi when I was little. I was like, what does that even mean? After like a month of being called Pippi, I was like, what does that mean? And my brother actually gave it to me and he said, well, your dad's a pirate and your mum's a hippie. <laughs> so you're a mixture of both and you're a Pippi. And I was like, that makes sense. And now everybody calls me Pip. What's it like for you then, like being such an ocean loving person? Like when you when you go away from the ocean, when you spend a bit of time landlocked, does you just start to freak out? Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Sydney City is like terrifying to me. I'm like <laughs> everything's so loud, and and the ocean, open ocean, is just not. It's just amazing, and I, I think growing up in it made it so normal to me and and just having parents that just made it so accessible to me was really nice and then little things in like everyday life can be quite challenging when you have a experience like that growing up of course yeah and to go back to you know your first experience with with sharks and your i guess your passion that has evolved for them over the years i mean when you first had that interaction did you know straight away then that you wanted to just keep having some kind of life that involves sharks I knew before that. When I was little, I used to write like journals and watch TV and watch all these stories. I used to watch Ron and Valerie Taylor and I used to watch Jaws. And I used to say to myself, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to make documentaries and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to dive with sharks and I'm going to become a marine biologist and I'm going to be like the dolphin trainer on Flipper and I'm going to do all (laughs) this amazing stuff. And I like knew who I wanted to be. And then it's funny, I can pinpoint the moment in my life where all that fell apart. And that's when I got involved in conservation. And what happened then? What, what made you have a change of realisations? I grew up diving in the Great Barrier Reef and school holidays and things like that. And I had the most amazing interactions with sharks, especially this one spot on the Great Barrier Reef where we would do night dives. And I would jump off the boat and then switch my torch off and just be in like the floodlights off the back of the boat. And there'd be so many sharks, just little grey reef sharks. They're like little puppy dogs and they would just zoom in around chasing fish. <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever. And I like grew up with that. And that was in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. So I was like, this place is awesome. This place is safe. When I left school, I was 14, I began homeschooling, and then we went back to that exact same spot to do a dive. And I will never forget jumping in the water with absolutely no idea what was about to happen, but just expecting that I would see all my sharks again. And there was one shark, and it wouldn't come anywhere near me. It was a complete change from just a few years earlier, what I had seen. And at first, I didn't know what to think of it. Maybe it was just the weather. Maybe they'd just gone somewhere else. But it was a reoccurring pattern throughout the reef and Australian waters. The sharks were disappearing. And I had noticed it by the age of 14. Like, that's a really young age to see a dramatic change in the waters of our country. So that kind of pushed me into where I am today. So it was almost like an innocence is lost kind of moment where you have thought you were going to live this incredible life oh, studying yeah. these animals enjoying their company constantly and then all of a sudden like you just it's smack in the face reality of the situation major smack in the face and then it was like oh well there goes that and i was like damn now i have to actually do something and it it really hit me very hard when the one place that had always been a sanctuary when i was growing up got affected i knew bad things happened to sharks i just didn't think they happened in our marine parks so it was definitely a huge awakening for me well, we're going to chat about that more further on, but we've got to get on to the music because it is a music show. And uh, look, the first song you've chosen today is Midnight Oil Antarctica. Why'd you bring this song on? 
I love this song. I used to listen to it all the time because it's about, you know, the last wild places on earth. And also because when Peter Garrett was in Parliament, he was someone that I was writing to frequently, trying to get him to shut down the Great Barrier Reef shark fishery. So he was one of the politicians that I, like, grew up admiring because of his music and his connection to the Australian land and I really thought that he would understand and he was I kind of made my first very underwater film to send to him and be like can you please shut down I was so hopeful back then (laughs) (laughs) can you please shut down this shark fishery so that was kind of one of the first things I did
You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Madison Stewart. She's a conservationist and a filmmaker, otherwise known affectionately as Shark Girl. Now, look, diving with sharks, like actually physically getting in the water and doing that, what are the first things you need to know to be able to do it safely? Well, first of all, I sound a lot cooler than I am in real life. <laughs> Lots of people do this every day around the world. I've seen the most inexperienced, silly people get in the water and do this safely. Uh, it's, it's very possible for people to have nice interactions with sharks. We definitely pick our moments. So we dive in places where we know there's going to be sharks. Either we bait them in with food or there's like a wild natural aggregation or we know we're going to see them. And it's just, it's, it's a really life-changing experience for everyone that I've seen who's been scared of sharks that's then gotten in the water. And after just 15 minutes, they're like, oh my gosh, this animal doesn't want to eat me. This animal's actually scared of me. And then they just become so comfortable. And that's always really cool to see. Totally. And I mean, I guess like what kind of things do you need to do to make sure you're not endangering yourself, I guess? Like is there ways of reading the animal's body language, I guess, or something like that? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was like, well, I'm going to dive with sharks. I'm going to learn about what's going on here. Do I look like a seal? What do I do? What don't I do? And I realized that every shark is like a different species of dog. They each have their own ways to tell you if they're ticked off or if they're getting aggressive or if they're hungry. Like you can pick up on the signs that they give you. So knowing those triggers was really important and being able to, I mean, people go hike in the woods in Canada and they learn everything about the bears Mm. and they take steps to protect themselves from that. But we go in the ocean every day and we don't have any information on our side about sharks, especially in Australia. If you look on the Surf Life Saving website, there's no mention of sharks nothing but there's so many little bits of information that could help us so just learning little things about sharks makes a huge difference what are some of the most simple easy little tips you could teach people about to have a safer interaction in the water with sharks yeah well a lot of sharks um a big thing is eye contact to establish that you're like another animal down there and not just prey so that's always a big thing to sharks it's important to remember that sharks are often just curious but they are really more scared of you than you are of them most of the time like Mm. any animal uh each shark is different tiger sharks will bite the water if they're aggregated sorry aggravated and things like reef sharks do this thing where they arch their back and they stick their fins down and that shows aggression and most of them will will like let you know if they're feeling i've seen this very rarely though usually Mm. the sharks just get spooked and swim away from us and so you know how you see those videos these days of of people like literally like (laughs) touching right like riding on the fins of sharks and doing things like that like how do you get to the point where that becomes something that you know is going to be a safe thing to do or like is okay i guess uh someone once said something that resonated with me is that there's there's not dangerous sharks but dangerous situations and that's very true it's very interesting as well sharks have different personalities i've met some great whites that i would never want to be in the water with and i've met others that i would happily swim around with for an hour so just kind of gauging how the shark is feeling that day I always have respect for these animals. There have been times where I've gotten out of the water because it wasn't dangerous. But for the most part, they're interested in one thing, which is the food. And they're kind of trying to figure you out and size you up to start with. And sometimes they have cheeky personalities, which you have to look out for. But aside from that, it's just kind of reading the animal. And you get a pretty quick gauge for how they're going to be acting after a short time with them. So is it good in that regard then? Like, do you, do you want to have food present in the water with you when you're diving? Like, is that a good thing? Like, to have Some sharks have been... Um, congregating in certain areas because they've been fed for the last 30 years so it's become like a natural thing to them we just offer them a little bit of food to get them around other sharks will just the wild interactions without having to bait them are the best there's a lot of controversy about baiting sharks Mm. but in some parts of the world it's amazing for tourism and it does a lot for people becoming educated about it as well 
And did you ever have a point yourself where you actually got scared in the water or do you ever still get scared in the water? Yeah, I got scared really once. Um, how old was I? I was quite young. I think I was about 15. And this gigantic turtle was coming up behind me <laughs> and like biting at me because I was sitting in its spot. And that was the most scared I've ever been underwater. <laughs> so you've never been that scared by a shark? No, that turtle <laughs> was terrifying. It was like a grumpy old man and it was big and it just scared me because it snuck up on me and I thought it was going to bite me. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, what, like, if you are scared in the water with a shark, it, can the shark sense that? Absolutely. First of all, you're kind of crazy if you're not scared in the water with a shark. Everybody should be a little bit scared. That's to be expected, unless you're psycho like me. And then, <laughs> you know, usually I see that disappear within minutes of people seeing the sharks and meeting them. I okay. really do because it's such a misconception. But it's also really funny because if you know someone's nervous, it's amazing to see how the sharks pick up on that. Mm. They're like the first person that the sharks go to underwater. Like they fully know. Well, it's funny because like, I, I don't know sharks very well, but I, I know snakes very well. And snakes, and I've kept pet snakes and I've worked with snakes my whole life. And when, when you pick up a snake and you're not nervous and you're not scared about it, it's so much more comfortable than if you hand a snake to someone who is nervous or scared. Right. And the way the animal interacts with the person is a lot more flighty. So I can imagine it'd be a similar sort of thing with sharks right in the water. They'd be able to just pick up on that kind of fear, I guess. Absolutely. Well, all predators like that kind of have to pick up on that because that's what they look for when they're hunting. Yeah. Sharks don't want to hunt something that's healthy. They want to hunt something that's scared or injured. It makes it easier for them. So they're designed to look up for those weaknesses. So that's like about being a predator. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Wow, it's fascinating stuff. I bloody love sharks. Anyway, we'll continue <laughs> on with this conversation after this next song. You've got Flume and Some Minds. What, what, what does this song mean to you? I listened to this song repetitively one day on a really hard day on a boat with shark hunters. So it just kind of saved me from being stuck on a boat with a bunch of rednecks fishing sharks. And I really like this song. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Let's work it on then. And I love her body, babe 
This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is Madison Stewart. She's a conservationist and a filmmaker, otherwise known as Shark Girl. Now, look, when we talk about sharks and their place in the environment, can you kind of run us through exactly what their role is in the ecosystem? I'll give you an awesome example that I love to use. Um, There was a town in America, North America, somewhere, I can't remember where, but they had uh, a huge crayfish industry, lobsters and all kinds of things, and the whole town's economy was based on that. But they also had a fear of sharks, and uh, they actually managed to fish out a lot of the sharks in the area. They just kind of went crazy hunting them. And without realising what they'd done, the stingray population began to boom because stingrays are the prey of sharks and with no sharks to eat them they kind of grew out of control there were so many stingrays that they were eating all the crayfish and kind of destroyed that industry and the economy of that town that's crazy isn't it i've actually heard a story about that as well in the sea the cortez sea in in mexico where they hunted the sharks to extinction and then humboldt squid mm-hmm. started to overpopulate now yep. you can't even get in the water yeah. if you're a person because there's these giant schools of squid that go around killing people pretty much if you get in the water it's even more dangerous now to swim there than it was when the sharks were there yeah and it's it's kind of ironic because they're the one animal we want to get rid of but the one we need you know sharks are that big and gnarly and scary for a reason nature mm. needs them they are the top predator and i mean like when it comes to like environments around australia like the coastal areas here and whatnot like when it comes to surfers, for example, or people swimming close to the shore, like, is it something that they really need to be worrying about when they're going into the water there that much? Like, or is it like something that you can kind of do safely without too much concern, do you think? Yeah, so if you surf or swim or spend a lot of time in the ocean in Australia, you have been around a shark. You've been in proximity to a great white. You've been heard by a shark. They're always there. And I find it so insane that people do this so blasé because it is one of the most dangerous interactions that you can possibly have. You're on top of a surfboard. You know, you don't have eye contact. The sharks, if they're around and they're hunting, you look like an injured animal on your surfboard. It's very dangerous. And there's no point in pretending that it's totally safe and that sharks are harmless because they're not. Having said that, if sharks wanted to hunt and eat people, we wouldn't be able to swim or surf. Like, there'd be a far higher rate of attacks but it is fascinating to me to see people get in the ocean without considering how dangerous it is i think we need to pay a little more attention to that and are there any mitigation methods i guess that people can go through if they're going to be doing that absolutely i mean there's lots on the market these days you know there's magnets and there's shark shields and all those little things and then there's shark nets which don't really work and then there's all kinds of things we've been trying to do but at the end of the day, I think one of the most effective things we can do is just take it upon ourselves to learn a little bit more and just look for signs that are going to give you an idea of how dangerous it is. For example, bait balls. There's always sharks feeding when there's bait balls. Murky water after rainfall. That's a big sign of bull sharks. Little things like that that people can pay attention to. And one of the biggest things is trust your gut feeling you know how you're sitting in the surf sometimes and you're just thinking it's a bit sharky today and you just have this like weird shiver up your spine (laughs) and that big fin isn't actually a dolphin sometimes that's the best thing to do is just be really in tune with your instinct yeah wow it's it's something we probably don't give enough thought to really isn't it our instinct isn't it yeah that's interesting and what about i mean you mentioned bull sharks i mean bull sharks have got probably like the worst name of of all Mm -hmm. the sharks these days is that warranted do you think I think bull sharks are a very scary species, not because they're a terrible animal. Like you swim with a bull shark, they're beautiful until they hear a bone crunch or smell something and then they (laughs) kind of become like a dog in a feeding frenzy. But they are definitely scary to us because of where and how they hunt. But it's also interesting to note that a lot of 
bull shark attacks can be implicated with human things like runoff that's causing upwellings and fish come to feed and then the bull sharks come to feed on that. So although they're not out to get humans, they are in the most common recreational areas for us. So they Mm. can be a little bit dangerous, yes. So it's like, again, like about one of those things where you really just have to be conscious of where it is that you're entering into the water and what's happening around you in the environment, right? Well, the most common thing I hear coming out of Australians is there's too many bull sharks. Well, we build a bunch of freshwater canals and bull sharks are the only of species of all the sharks that can go into fresh water from salt water. So they do go up those canals and they do enter areas that other sharks can't. So it's not necessarily that there's too many, it's just that they go in certain environments that are confined like that. And then we have rainfall and that heavy dose of fresh water kind of pushes them out to the river mouths and then you'll see someone surfing at sunset at a river mouth. Like you may as well run through a village in Africa of starving people with hamburgers in your hand and then (laughs) expect to not get mobbed. Like, it's insane. People surf in really dangerous conditions. It's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Well, look, moving on to the music again, we've got Resolution by Matt Corby. Why'd you bring this one on? This is a really sad song that my friends hate it when I play because it reminds them um, of all the time we spent in Western Australia filming during the shark cull when the government decided to try and kill a bunch of great whites. They didn't catch any great whites, they only caught tiger sharks and killed a lot of sharks unnecessarily and we were there to film it all and it was really sad but I managed to film some amazing footage that kind of went pretty far in Australia so, yeah. I'm giving up this whole on Call it out like a family Instead of bad my time get a ride Until the rubber leaves the road You said don't lie so I made the truth Seem like a lie to even you Control your fear, it's clear That you do not know where you're going to
Listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio, my name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Madison Stewart. She's a conservationist and a filmmaker, otherwise known as a shark girl. Now, look, you were just saying before the break that you know you go and do these kind of little missions where you go out and you film stuff that's going on, whether it be kind of illegal shark fishing or legal shark fishing, and get footage to kind of I guess collate as evidence. What what, what do you do with that, and what's the purpose ultimately? So, I didn't know what I was doing. When I first started, most of the time I still don't. Um, but <laughs> for me, it's the biggest thing's always been I see amazing things of people interacting with sharks, and then I see terrible things happening to sharks, and I just needed a way to make it apparent to the world. And sharing that footage with people is so powerful. So I decided that filmmaking was going to be my medium for doing this stuff. So I go and capture footage of anything and everything that I can. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to, you know, the situation with sharks at the moment, like what are the key issues when it comes to their conservation well in australia for example one of the key issues is flake or shark meat which is for sale in many places so people are actually eating shark quite frequently and not realizing it Uh, also the shark fin trade we kill about a hundred million sharks a year around the world just to cut their fins off and the fins are used for a soup it's an asian delicacy it doesn't taste like anything or have health benefits it just is a status symbol so it's kind of crazy sharks are up there with like rhino horns and all those other terrible animal trades but we just don't notice it because it's happening to sharks and what's Mm. out of sight is out of mind and a lot of the stuff happens at sea so people have less attention brought to it And is there much of a shark fin trade here in, like, Australia and New South Wales? Amazingly enough, we have quite a lot of shark fisheries in Australia, and all of them contribute to the export trade of shark fins. We have factories in Cairns that are dedicated to drying and processing and exporting shark fins. You're kidding. Yeah, a lot of stuff that I film in Mexico and Indonesia and dodgy places around the world happens right here, but behind closed doors. Yeah, wow. It's something that we really don't consider, do we? We just no, think we're we all got such a clean slate when it comes to these sort of conservation issues, don't we? Yeah, I mean, people are shocked when I tell them that there's a legal shark fishery that operates inside the Great Barrier Reef. And can you tell us about that? Because I feel like that's something that people would have no idea about. Right, yeah. So originally it was like 120 commercial gillnet vessels with licenses to go and target solely sharks. And they were allowed to move a number around 100,000 sharks from the Great Barrier Reef each year to supply the meat and fin trades. And we don't realize that it happens, but sharks are are quite a big target. There is not much research to say this can be done sustainably. A few sharks can and have been fished sustainably, like the school shark and the gummy shark. But the amount of species that they were catching on the Great Barrier Reef were things like hammerheads and reef sharks and certain species of sharks that no one should be targeting because they take so long to reach maturity and they have so few young and it's literally like going and wiping out the oldest growing animal in the sea so it's quite a devastating thing to have happened and like because obviously they're an apex predator like what kind of mercury content are we talking about you'd find in these sort of the flesh from these animals that we're going to be eating on our plates yeah so i've done two separate occasions i've done mercury tests on shark meat and both times i've found more than one sample to be over the legal and safe limit of mercury most of the samples were from woolworths so shark meat is literally for sale everywhere and it's very bad for you uh you the effects of mercury are different from person to person but 
it gets into your system and it doesn't leave and it makes people very very sick and there's small traces in fish and certain other foods but in sharks it's just magnified because they're such an old slow growing animal and they've consumed so many fish underneath them and they have a huge level of mercury in their meat most of the time and who are most at risk when it comes to mercury poisoning in that regard like if you're buying fish from from the supermarket Usually the most at risk are children and especially pregnant women. It's been shown that mercury can not only cause birth defects but cause a spontaneous abortion as well if consumed by the mother, which is crazy because the Australian government says that you can eat shark once a fortnight if you're pregnant. Really? Yeah. Those are the guidelines. That's in the guidelines, yeah. That's insane. Well, look, if, if you're out there and you're a pregnant mother or expecting mother, definitely take care when you're going to Woolworths or if you've got family friends that are expecting a kid you know make sure they check what fish they're getting from worse next time they're there but um look moving on to the music again dire straits telegraph road tell us about it i just kind of grew up with dire straits i listened to them a lot as a kid and it's just always been there one of my favorite bands yeah
Telegraph poles, they can always fly away. 
life was just a bet on a race between the lights. You had your head on my shoulder, you had your hand in my hair. Now you act a little cold, like you don't see me.
loves to dive with sharks. She's an incredible young woman who's doing amazing things when it comes to protecting an animal that is definitely getting overly persecuted these days. But on another topic, though, you left school when you were 14 to be homeschooled. What was that like? So I discovered that there was a place where I could enroll in a school that would send me the material and I could fill it out and send it back and I thought this will be an awesome opportunity and my dad made a deal with me if I left school he would buy me an underwater camera so it was a (laughs) no-brainer. It's definitely lonely and difficult to discipline yourself sometimes but it opens so many doors for me the ability to work on my own time frames and to do things that I was passionate about alongside of doing school allowed me to jump into my career so much earlier than I would have any other way. So it opened up a lot of opportunities for me. What were the the hardest parts, though, of doing that? I really missed the routine of school and I missed those four social interactions and I missed my friends Hmm. and I missed the school environment quite a lot. But I'd always loved school. I was always a teacher's pet. So I don't know that other kids (laughs) would be the same. But yeah, and then just having to do the work by myself and motivate myself to do it was difficult for a little while but when Mm. i got in the groove of it i really enjoyed it and i guess though as well you got the opportunity to probably be able to dive as much as you wanted to right and be able to go on trips and study from wild places in the world right yeah well i would like take a week's of work and do it all in one day so i could spend the rest of the week diving which (laughs) was like probably not advice but that's what i love to do yeah that's incredible and so what would you for anyone who has considered doing homeschooling what would be you know your kind of words of encouragement to to someone who wanted to be homeschooled honestly these days and age we're in a school system that forces us to do things that aren't necessarily what we want to do and i feel like letting yourself or your child's passion flourish and whilst they're doing school and making that passion of theirs and what they want to do with their life the most important factor at such an early age is a really wonderful thing. I would definitely recommend it to anybody that kind of has in their mind knowing what they want to do with their lives or something that they're passionate about. When you're passionate about it, you will get yourself there and it's just a great way to be able to do that and get school out of the way at the same time. Awesome. Definitely couldn't have given it a better kind of, you know, a big ups as that, to be honest. It's, it's an interesting one because I think there's often a lot of stigma around homeschooling isn't there you know there's a way the way in which society perceives it is if it's like you know oh it's a bit weird to be able to take yourself out of this kind of normal societal thing but you you say it so right that you if you are someone who's passionate it means that you can really focus on that while still being at school it it makes it more dynamic right yeah and now there's so many opportunities for people to do it where you still have teachers you just call them or email them if you need them especially with like technology these days we can do that and some of the homework and the work was like for kids that are geographically challenged so it wasn't like my parents were teaching me I was still enrolled in a school and they were sending me material and I still had to do all these projects and everything but I just got to do it at my own time and, and fit other stuff in there as well and it was it was really awesome for sure. Well, look, moving on to the songs again. Next song you got for us is by Glass Animals. It's Gooey. I mean, a classic track, this one, really. Yeah, I like this song. Is there any particular reason why you chose this one today? It's in one of my favourite surf films, actually. Oh, really? What um, film is that? View from a Blue Moon, oh, which course, yeah. with the John John Florence film. And it's like the only documentary I watch that isn't like a sad, the world is dying documentary. <laughs> so it brings back good memories for me. All right. Spinning round my head and I stand While my name 
You've been listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today has been Madison Stewart. She's a conservationist and filmmaker who swims with sharks, of all things. And uh, look, you recently featured in a, a film called Blue, a documentary series. Can you tell us about that film? Yeah, um, I didn't know too much about Blue when it first started. They reached out to me and they wanted me to be involved. And I was like, sure. And then getting involved in the project, I got to meet my hero, Valerie Taylor, and I got to film all these amazing things and it was the first documentary that I'd ever worked on that wanted to show the sad side of the ocean so blue is very confronting and powerful and it won't lie to you and tell you everything's beautiful it'll show you what's going wrong in our waters and that's really important I must say when I I watched the trailer to blue I like actually like got tears in my eyes like I found it like just distressing but like at the same time necessary but it really is quite evocative isn't it I think anybody that wants to do conservation or activism or cares about the oceans should go see a film like this because it takes away your comfort in the world Mm. and that should be taken away because that's the only way we breed activists. And activism is so important in this day and age because the kids of today, by the time we're old enough to see the consequences of everybody's decisions, it'll be too late. So we need to start impacting things now. And tell us about some of the the scenes that you found yourself in when you're in that film. So we went and filmed this... uh, quite gnarly fish market in Indonesia which I had been warned about going to because I don't like people filming there but I have this wonderful skill of being able to make friends with any fisherman that I meet so we were just walking around and documenting things and I was seeing sharks bigger than I'd ever seen in the ocean on the floor of that market their fins getting hacked off the smell was insane it was such a crazy experience to be there in amongst that all and see so much death and carnage and I mean, where is all of this meat going and where is the fins going? Like, is, where's fins it been transported go straight to? to China. So there was a, a buyer there that will take the fins. And for example, fins, shark fins are worth a lot of money, mm. uh, like a lot of money dried. And the fishermen get paid next to nothing for catching the whole sharks. So it is really one of those industries where these poor fishermen are going out trying to feed their families and then the fins are worth so much more money than they realize. The meat gets sold locally, which is also a big concern because it's probably sold as fish or mahi-mahi or something else and people don't know they're taking in that mercury and then i've also seen shark meat in australia that says sourced from indonesia so yeah really so there'd be be fish coming from this market potentially to australia yes which is just so insane to think about how do you like how do you transport like a a fish meat a seafood that distance and it still be edible well i found in Florida, when I was buying shark meat to test for mercury, that they were sourcing it from Ecuador. We import shark fins to Australia from West Africa. They take sharks from Africa to Spain. It's amazing that everything is just shipped and then sent somewhere else and fished in local waters. And, and it's sad to think that we contribute to international trades that are bringing down the shark species. But the amount of stuff that just goes flying all around the world is, is quite crazy. It's insane stuff, isn't it? Well, look, highly recommend going and checking out Blue if you have the chance. It is in cinemas at the moment, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can go check that one out. Now, look, in terms of you know what you think needs to be done in Australia when it comes to legislation around sharks and their protection, what do you think needs to be done ultimately? So much. (laughs) I think I kind of gave up on politics after Peter Garrett ignored me. And (laughs) I I really learned. And the reality is the only thing that ever changes anything is individuals. Individuals taking it upon themselves to be smart consumers and to have a voice and to really take responsibility for fighting for sharks and the oceans. And people do that when they watch a film like Blue or find out something. Like me, I wasn't going to do anything until my sharks started disappearing. I don't have a degree in marine biology. I'm no one special. I just did it because I was passionate about it. And people need to realize that they can do the same.
Well, I think that's an incredible place to leave it. We do have time for one last track, though. You've got a song for us, Sail by AWOL Nation. Why have you chosen this one? I've always wanted to make a film to this song, and I think that one day I still will. And it's just like a really powerful get up and get it song. Awesome. Madison, thank you so much for coming on Out of the Box. No worries. Thank you. Coming up next is Maya with lunch. And uh, look, I'll see you next week. Big thanks to my producer, Nicole DiPaolo, and uh, have a good one. Thank you.